First Corinthians chapter 4, the very first thing in it, the Apostle Paul is talking to this one church, and that church is in a city that is kind of out of control. Any of you have uh, lived in a bigger city, you might know a little bit of this. Um, there's a port town, lots going on, you got sailors coming in and out, there's uh, uh Okay, cool. Uh, prostitutes coming down, everybody, you know, from at, at night, and it's just like filling the city. Just It's just wild stuff is going on. Paul comes into the city, spends 18 months, preaches Christ and him crucified to this, this new church. People's lives are being changed from darkness to light. But the culture is pretty darn powerful, has a sway over the people of God. And, and what's happening is uh, this church this dearly loved church that Paul is pleading for will not grow up. They will not give up the things of the world. They keep acting like infants. They're, the culture is influencing the way that they're doing everything in life, so much so that they're like, oh, you know what? I like Paul, the way he preaches. Oh, yeah, well, I like Apollos. I don't like Paul. Oh, yeah, well, so-and-so and pastor so-and-so. So they've got this American Idol situation going on where they're texting in their favorites, you know, and, and that's not the way that the world, the, that's the way the world works. That's the way the world evaluates things. But in the kingdom of God, that is not how we evaluate things. We don't evaluate things on how great a person is at speaking or how much they mumble or how they dress and all these types of things. We evaluate things based upon the word of God and the spirit of God within that person. And so Paul says, knock it off. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who are we? Why do you uh, have to go after one and put down the other? Don't you know that we're both about the same thing? I'm about uh, planting the seed of the word of God in people's hearts. And Apollos comes on later on and and he waters it. But who gives the increase? It's God. It's God who causes people to grow, hearts to change. And so who are we but servants is the word he uses. He says, we're just, we're just servants. And so Paul is correcting this mentality of division within the church that's caused by carnality, caused by not allowing the Spirit of God to dominate a believer. And as we talked about uh, uh, last week, how many people do you know, let's not judge, but let's just say, that have been walking with the Lord for a long time but are steering, still in spiritual diapers because they refuse to grow up. They refuse to change. They refuse to deny self. They refuse to let go of the way of the world works and embrace the spirit of Christ that is within them and to allow him to dominate them and and let the new person come forward. Let Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ, come and dominate the heart. And I know I'm, I'm among those people. I have infancy in areas of my life, so I don't sit here and talk down to everybody, but... It's frustrating when you run into that. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about, in, in reality, there's diseases and things that cause people to have, have problems. That's not what I'm talking about. But people who should be able to be matured is very sad when they're, you know, not being men, not being women. They're being kids. And Paul's taking that and relaying that into a spiritual situation. He's saying, you guys are infants, Infants are awesome when they're, they're little, but if you guys, if I'm playing with Tonka trucks, you know, at 30, come on now, it's time to, time to grow up. 
And that's what Paul is getting at. And so they're saying, who, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? They, they're correcting things. <laughs> My wife's giving me trouble. I guess I like playing the Tonka trucks. <laughs> I know. I'm just, just like, you know what I'm talking about. It's with kids. But this then is how you ought to regard us, Paul is saying, as servants of Christ and those who are entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed, chapter 4, verse 1. This is how you're to view us. If, If we're not way up here, lording it over like the world rules, and if we're not way down here, we're not dirt on the ground, then who are we? How are you to evaluate the apostles? Who are these people? How are you to look at the people who are ministers among you? Minister not just being pastor, but people who minister. God's using, who he's entrusted, he's gifted to bless you. How are you to look at them? Paul wants to clear all that up. And he says right here in first one, this is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. And so that word servant, as I talked about last week as we ended, is the word for under rower. Two things you're supposed to view uh, them as. Under rowers. How many of you enjoy the, view, the, the idea of being on a three-level uh, boat and being on the bottom level rowing? That's not necessarily what you want to call the CEO of the church. An under rower, right? That's how the world works. The world says, hey, you're a leader. We're all to serve you. And what happens? When you come to Christ, Jesus says the greatest is the servant of all. We're here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. And so when you have needs, I hope that I'm there. When you have call, when, and so I'm, like a, I'm scattered all over the place when I see situations. I'm trying to serve you with the gifts that God has given me as someone who is a steward to the Lord, I'm an un, uh, or, or a servant of the Lord. I'm an under rower. Now, one thing about the under rower is he doesn't control the direction of the ship, does he? That's not his responsibility. His responsibility is to row, to be faithful with what God has given he or she, and to row. And so Paul's saying, we're under rowers. Apollos and I, these big wigs in the church, we're under rowers. We're here doing what God has placed in front of us day after day, night after night, because Christ is the captain of this ship. Oh boy, when the under rowers start to get on top of the deck and telling everybody where to go, that gets, that's, can be dangerous if Christ is not leading, amen? And so as we are seeking what to do with our property, as we're seeking what to do with where we go with the direction of the church. Oh boy, it's so easy to jump up and say, hey, I've got a great idea and a great plan and this is where we're going and blah, 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 blah. But rather than that, wouldn't you hope that we would be humble before the Lord, praying and saying, Lord, what is your will? We are not on top of the deck. We are under rowers to be executing your commands. And so the next thing he says uh, in there in, in chapter four, verse one, it says, how you ought to regard us as servants, so under rowers of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So those entrusted in stewards is the word in some of our translations. Stewards, what, what's a steward? Servant, right. We're, so we're servants, but we're also people who are entrusted with something. We're managers, what does a manager do for a company? Does he call all the shots? 
No, he's entrusted with whatever the CEO, whatever the person wants, and that is what we do. We say, yes. Hey, I would like you to go reach this market. Okay. Here's your materials. Here's your budget. Here's your things. Go for it. And same way with Paul. He's not the chief person. He's saying, we are, I'm an under rower and I'm a manager. And notice I'm, I'm distilling the mysteries of God over and over. What are the mysteries of God? You read there in chapter 1, it's Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, you can read that on your own time for extra credit. But the mysteries are found in Christ Jesus. Things that were hidden before. The mystery is that Christ, his, his plan, I'm going to switch microphones, Terry. This thing's driving me crazy. Sorry about that. Lost my thought there for a second. Oh yeah, the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are described in the Bible. In other words, God, in the, from the very beginning, he hid his plan. He hid his plan and he slowly revealed it throughout the ages. And all of a sudden it came about that it was Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was the plan. The world looks at it and goes, what in the world? That is so foolish. Why would you send your son to die? No, he's supposed to reign and rule. And so this mystery that actually Jesus died and he was resurrected and through faith in him you have eternal life, the world looks at and goes, that is the dumbest thing on earth. Why would I ever believe that? And that is the only way that God will forgive sins and, re- and, and cause man to have eternal life is through faith in him. And so Paul is a steward of Christ. He's a steward of the mysteries of Jesus Christ. He is to go and preach the gospel. He's not creating the plan. He's not manipulating the message. He is simply distributing what has been given him. And that is something important as you are receiving from the Lord what he has called you to do, that you are faithful to what God has called you to do. And you don't need to come up with the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. It's powerful. Jesus is Jesus. You simply deliver the message. You be faithful to what God has called you to do. He's called you to be a mom. You be a mom. He's called you to work in a workplace. You be in a workplace. You shine Jesus wherever you go. But he goes on. He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust, a steward, must be, proven, must be proved faithful. How many of you enjoy when you're trying to entrust someone with something very precious that they decide to have their own plan? They decide to go their own way. They decide to manipulate whatever you, you say. I want you to go down here, and would you please buy 500 shares of so-and-so? Take this and do it. And all of a sudden, they go take that, and they, what, what happens? They buy hamburgers. I mean, whatever they're doing. Go buy a new car. They're having fun. It's not a very good new car, but you know what I'm saying? It's required to be faithful, and that's one of the things Paul's saying is, listen, we're, God's given us a, an idea, and as stewards, we're required of God to be faithful. We've been given the gospel. We're to go out and do exactly what he's called us to do. You must be proven faithful. And, and this is the, 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 the problem. Verse 3 says, I carry very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. I don't care what you think. I don't care what the world thinks. I only care what Jesus has called me to do and to be faithful to that as a steward. Do you care what everybody else thinks or do you care what God who has called you and who's made you and created you and formed you, or are you accountable to him? That is ultimately who we need to care about, you know, when, when we're executing what God has given us to do. And that's what Paul's saying. Now, did Paul care? He says, I care very little. In other words, it did influence him a little bit. 
But notice the judgment. That word judgment is is more of a prosecutorial word. So it's a prosecuting. It's kind of like a harsh examinement of someone. I care very little about your evaluation of me, is what he's saying to the Corinthians. I really don't care too much about that. You know what the danger is? And I was reading Ray Stedman's uh, <clears throat> commentary on this. He was talking about the, d- the danger, and he was quoting someone else, but he said, the danger of, of caring what people think as, you're, as you are being faithful to God, caring about what people think, putting too much stock into it, is that he put three things down? I wrote down. It says that you're, there's adulation you could receive, which is which swells your head. There's manipulation, which ties your hands, and then there's antagonism, which breaks the heart. I think that's so wise. When people care so much about what other people think regarding the gospel and what God has called you to people can come up to you and they can pour it on. They can give you adulation. They can say, oh, how awesome you are and how wonderful you are. And, and, oh, every time you talk, it's like it just blows me away. And then you go, yes, it does. Man, that is just so true. I don't know why that rings so well in my heart. That must be from the Lord. Now, I'm not discouraging that because that is wonderful and I appreciate no what I'm saying is that the danger of that is that you can start to let it go to your head because quite often what people are experiencing is God working through you but that's not the evaluation of truly what's going on in your heart or your motives which is what he's going to get to and so adulation can be a very difficult thing how many of us don't like to be praised very dangerous so we need to take that into heart and the other thing manipulation there are power structures within a church did you know that you ever try to if you try to go against that you'll find out that there are power structures within a church every single one has them and what will happen is people because whatever reason i mean we've all been a part of this will try to manipulate a minister into getting what they want. Why are you talking about this so much? Why aren't you talking about this much? You know, you really need to talk about tithing more. We're having trouble with money. These things need to happen. You got to talk about money a lot because that will give. And then, or, you know, so every time you walk in a room or you're in a pulpit, you're looking at the crowd. Okay, who's here? What can I say? What can't I say? And you're caring about what people say about above what God has actually called you to do. How many of you think that I really enjoy talking about the difficult things that I have to talk about week after week? And that is one of the reasons why I enjoy not teaching topically. I love topical teachers. I wish I could do it. I think I'm just not that disciplined. But I'm blessed by going through the word verse by verse and like, boom, oh, there you are. Hey, let's, this week we're talking about, you know, people being in little groups and all that stuff and being immature and babies and it's like okay great i know that some people in here are probably thinking i'm calling them a baby and it's like you just got to preach it because i'm not called to change the message i'm called to reveal the message and just get it out there it's the lord his message and obviously i'm a broken messenger so there's going to be problems there right 
but you too. You too. And this isn't just pulpit stuff and pastor time. This is about your walk with Jesus Christ. People will tell you what you want to hear all the time. People will try to manipulate you to not, oh, you know what, you, it's, it's cool that you, you know, love the Lord and all. Just, just lighten up a little bit. You know, just not around this person. You know what, forget it. Just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Respond to the Holy Spirit and let him deal with the consequences. And guess what, you might get beat up. You might get stones thrown at you like Paul, and that's actually Paul's point is you guys are doing so well, you're actually you're syncretized with the world. You should be getting persecuted like me, but you're not. And so there's the, that danger of man, being manipulated. Ties your hands. God wants you to be free. Just be in his word. Let his word be declared wherever you are, however you are, whatever situation you're in. Don't let your work dictate to you or, or work policy dictate to you when the gospel can be preached or when it can't. So you get fired for Jesus. So you suffer. So the government doesn't like you. Oh, no. What does your captain think? What does your captain think? Don't be manipulated. Don't care what they think. Think of what the Lord is saying to you at that time. Now, don't be a fool. You've got to be filled with the Spirit, is what I'm telling you. You be in His Word, let the Christ fill you, and you'll speak when you need to speak. And so what? Let the, let, let the consequences happen. The last one was antagonism. The fear of people getting in your face. And that is a big one, and that's happened to me. I don't know, has that happened to you? You strike a nerve with someone, and all of a sudden, boom, it's personal. And they take you aside and they tell you, you better knock that off. Or you, you've got the wrong spirit and all this type of stuff. And sometimes I'm going, oh, do I? Do I have the wrong spirit? I mean, you question yourself so much. You're going, what, what was I doing or how was I thinking? And you get into this big knot. And people can be wiped out of effect, effective ministry effectively spreading the light of Jesus Christ if you really put too much stock in what people think and not enough in what Jesus thinks and what he's calling you to do. Amen? And I think some of you have been knocked out of the game and are on the sidelines because you care too darn much about what the world thinks. Me too. You care too much about what your relative thinks or what your your boss will think or all this stuff. You're living for today. You think I enjoyed telling you that? <laughs> but how many of you experienced that? How many of you sensed that war going on in your heart? Imagine the Apostle Paul walking into a town, and every time he walked into the town, he knew it was going to be a rock concert, right? We know what kind we're talking about. It's going to get rocked with rocks, you know? It's just like, oh, my gosh, here we go. Every time. But he had to be faithful and that's what he's talking about. Just be faithful. God, he doesn't, he's just going to use faithful people. Just be faithful. When he says go and love, just what? Guess what you have to do? Go love. When he says forgive, what do you do? You forgive. When he says go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, what do you do? Oh, that's for the pastor. You know what the pastor's here for? To equip you for the work of the ministry. You are the minister's. You are the plan. I'm here to 
pat you up, encourage you, pray for you, kick you out the door and go, you go do it. You are it. And so these things are going to come into the play in your life, and I love that insight. And so here Paul says, you can, you, you know, don't worry about the judgment from people, nor human courts, it says. The idea there is what the world standard is. You know what I'm, I'm we're going to hit in marriage here in a few weeks. Guess what we're going to be talking about? Marriage. And guess what the world likes to have a definition of marriage as? Their definition. I don't care. I don't, I'm not here to try to capitulate to that definition. And neither are you. You simply read. You simply trust. You obey. And you just go. And guess what? You're going to have come to a rock show. It's just They're just not going to like you. It's going to kick against the darkness, and that's what light does. It penetrates. How we do that, obviously, we need to pray for wisdom, obviously. But there we are. And so he goes on. He says, I don't care. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. How many? I don't even evaluate myself. Why? How many of you have a real good idea of what's going on in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life? Now, how many of you have husband and wives who will really tell the tr- true story? <laughs> you know what I'm just saying? <laughs> we don't really know what's going on in our own mind. I usually have a very poor evaluation of what's going on and my motives for doing things. Anyone else? I'm messed up. See, Paul's saying, I, I don't even judge myself. I don't care what you think. I don't care so much what I think because I don't trust myself. And he goes, my conscience is clear. I, don't, I can't think of anything that I've got wrong, something going wrong, wrong. But guess what? That doesn't make me innocent. I don't know what's going on in the inner working of my heart. I have no idea. I can't get in there and understand all my motives. But what I do care about, what does he say? He says, it's the Lord who judges me. That's what I care about. I care about what he thinks. And that word judges in the present tense continually. That means that the Holy Spirit is speaking to Paul daily about what is going on in his life, what is right, what is wrong, where he should go. There's a relationship, a personal relationship with God, and the Spirit of God is convicting him. As he starts to move in a situation, he experiences God's correction, his conviction in his life. And he goes, yeah, I better back off. When he reads the word and he sees what's going on, there's correct judgment there. i concerned with, with the Lord's judgment, not mine. He says, so don't judge anything before, before the time, before the appointed time. Wait, wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Notice he's saying, don't, you don't have the full picture. Don't act like you're an emperor in, and have final judgment over people. And he's specifically talking about the apostles. You don't know motives. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't have enough information. You're not God. Don't make that judgment. You're not God. Now, that word for judgment is different than the word, the previous words for judgment. This means like final authoritative, the judge has handed down the verdict. So don't judge things before it's time. Now, does that mean that we're not to judge? We got a problem. Chapter 5, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Uh Uh-oh. 
How many of you love the verse, don't judge? Don't judge me, right? Don't judge me. I love that verse. I don't want to be judged. Anybody want to be judged? Paul clears it up because we don't judge people outside the world. They're already condemned, John talks about. But who are we to judge? We're to judge inside the church. And so what is he talking about? This is, this is where it gets kind of crazy because are we to judge or are we not to judge and how are we to judge and how are we to do it? Jesus said in Matthew 7, let's flip over there, left, Matthew 7. <clears throat> let's go to the mouth of the king. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus speaking in an awesome section of scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, love it. Do not judge or you too will be judged, period. Amen? And we stop on that verse. Read ahead. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And that word judge is the final judgment is what he's talking about. The way you cast final judgment on someone is the way that you will be finally judged. So you better use the measure that you want to have used against you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of your own? So Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? Verse, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so what's happening? The church in Corinth is a mess. They are babies in Christ. They got people sleeping with their mother-in-law. They're taking each other to court. They are going berserk. And Paul's saying, you better knock off the judgment there because you have no idea what you're doing. And so what I believe is going on is there's a lack of discernment within the church. They are judging things that they have no business judging and the things that they should be judging, they don't have the discernment to actually judge. We judge actions, not motives. That's what scripture, I believe, teaches. We judge actions, not motives. You will know a tree by its fruit. When someone acts a certain way, that's what we go, hey, that is not keeping with the Lord. Why you did that? I'm not quite sure how that works. I'm going to leave the motives and the intents and the hearts up to the Lord, but I see you doing this. This is what the word says, and how are we supposed to approach that before we even get to that point? Looking at myself first. Oh, gosh, am I guilty of the same thing? Because if I am guilty of the same thing and I come in judgment, Jesus says, be careful, that's going to happen to you. So your own heart, your own mind, your own life is examined first. And when that's right, when that's pure, and you're talking to other people and go, hey, do I have this going on? What's going on? And that's pure, and you go before the Lord. Then the heart and the motive, your heart and your motive can be more pure. And you go to the, because the heart of ever going to someone else in the body of Christ and pointing out their dirt is for restoration, always. Restoration. That is the heart. That's why Jesus comes to us and tells us, hey, you're, you're, you go and sin no more. The issue isn't whether they sinned or not. Jesus says, repent. And why are they to repent? So they can have restored fellowship. They can have restored joy. So that they can actually shine the glory that they're meant to shine. And that's the heart. And so I think Paul's saying, hold off on your judgment. You don't know what you're doing. And then he's talking to the leaders later on saying, you've got to take care of the situation. It's a hard passage and I'm struggling with it. So... Will you, will you pray over that and read that yourselves? 
But at the time, each will receive their praise from God. Notice how God judges. He's going to judge by, he's going to expose, bring all the hidden things to light. Oh, that's not a good verse. And in darkness, the things that are in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. How are Corinthians judging people? Based upon what? Outward appearances? How great a speaker they were? How up in the arts they were? How culturally savvy they were? How does God judge? He looks past the American Idol and all the crud that we are so enamored with in our culture, I'm sorry. And he goes straight to the heart and goes, why do, we, why do they do what they do? And so one day we'll be sitting there and we'll be before the Lord and we'll go, hey, uh, I did all these things for you, God. And he's going to go straight down and go, but why did you do them? Did you do it for the glory of man? Or did you do it because I was your king and because you love me? And that's what we were talking about last week when that fire will burn away all the wood, hay, and stubble. Building the church on, with, God, with godless things and worldly standards and worldly judgments, all those things are going to burn away. But is it Christ? Is it Christ in you? And the reason why you come to church, what's your motive? Why do you worship? Why do you give? Why do you tithe? Why do you evangelize? Why do you do those things? Why don't you? All those things would be brought to light. The hidden motives and the harsher judgment goes to those who are teachers. Pretty sobering stuff. But each one, notice, will receive their condemnation from God. No. Will receive praise from God. That's why they call the Bema seat the mercy seat. We're not to get punishment. We're going to be refined before Christ, and he's going to burn away all the crud. And what will be left will be of great value, and we'll cast it down before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worship him. How powerful is that? I don't want to be left with, like, some little yarmulke. I want to have, like, a big old hey, crown, you know what I mean? Take that thing and throw it at his feet. I want you to more than me. I want to see you grow in Christ. I want to see your motives be pure. I want to see the grip of the world be released. Not so you just go to Bible study or you you serve out of compulsion, but because Jesus is your captain and you're asking him, what are the shots? Do I work in the children's ministry today? And I'm not manipulating you. I'm speaking to you. We have a need. Why isn't it filled? Why isn't it filled? And I would have to say we have a Corinthian situation going on. People are not hearing from the Lord. There's something else going on. So what's the answer? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Go, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing the boat, and if you want me to row, I row. And when you start rowing, all of a sudden, guess what happens? Joy. <laughs> you receive joy and direction and guidance, and the Spirit starts filling you, and it becomes amazing. 
So put control of your life back into the hands of the Father and let him lead you and guide you. And now, real quickly, let's bust through this. Now, brothers and sisters, verse 6, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Listen, if we have, we're the apostles and we have this evaluation of ourselves that we're servants and we're stewards, if we've applied these things, it's for your benefit. So you realize that we're not, you're not to go beyond what is written. When we go beyond what is written, when we go beyond Scripture, what happens? We get in trouble. We start using worldly wisdom to evaluate godly situations. And the church gets in trouble. So he says, don't do that. He says, then you will not be puffed up, prideful, in being a follower of one of us against the other. How many of you love to have people follow you? I want people to follow Christ. Ultimately, and that's what Paul's saying. Don't you don't have to say, "Oh, I follow so and so." When you have both of them, Paul and Apollos are yours. Enjoy them. If you're being ministered to by one pastor and, and you're listening to something else and this and that, they're all yours in Christ. Praise God. Enjoy it. The, this is not the church. Did you know that Christ Community Fellowship is not the only? We're just a part of the body of Christ. And we are just a little section of that. And so, Lord, help us if we become cliquish and we become, we are the only deal. We are prideful. We've got this or that or we don't have this and that. Lord, forgive us. Don't be puffed up being a follower of one against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? Who, Who made you so awesome? Paul's getting a little bit heated here. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Why are you rising up to the place of a judge? Who made you special in Christ? Did not God give you that? Look at all those spiritual gifts you had. Who who gave you those? God gave you those. Why are you so special? Because God made you that way. Why are you acting as if you received that by yourself? Wasn't it? Paul's basically saying, hey, wasn't it? Do you remember me? You're, you don't like me because I'm giving you hard truth, and you're, and you're pushing me away. And when I come to you, you say, oh, well, he's, his letters are big, but he's not very special. When he comes around, 2 Corinthians, we'll get there. And what happens? They're puffed up. They've forgotten about Paul. They've pushed him aside, and, and Paul is just brokenhearted over this, not because he wants them to follow them, but because he is a true example of following Christ. And they've left the foundation. For who makes you different from anyone else, you know? Why are you so high and mighty? Why are you so puffed up? And and he goes on. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have all the 21 spiritual gifts operating in your church. It's dynamic. You've got amazing speakers. You've got all these things going on. You've got the lights and whistles. You've got five worship teams. I mean, you've got the big budget, and everything's going, and it's happening, and you've got all you want. Who does that remind you of? The church of Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, or 7, yeah, yeah, 3, verse 17. You say that you have all you want, but you don't realize you're naked and poor and wretched and blind. Come to me and buy silver and gold, so things refined in the fire. Spiritual pride is what was happening in this church. We don't need you anymore, Paul. We don't need any more Bible study. We don't need to go to home fellowship. I don't need to serve. I don't need anything else. I'm good. And so you've got a church that is prideful and spiritually this and that, and 
is dangerous. I don't know about you, but being a pastor can be dangerous. I mean, you read the Bible all the time and you sit there and listen to another pastor and you're not listening for what you can have. I mean, and, and it's like you're evaluating things. You can't help do it. I mean, I go to conferences and it's like, oh, great. Well, I could teach like that or I can't teach like that and all this crazy stuff that goes on in your heart and your mind. You know what I mean? These things happen. And I, you know, I don't need, I can't learn anything. I can't do anything. There's just this unteachable spirit anymore. Be humble is what he's saying to this church. Humble yourselves. Why are you so high and mighty? Fall down. Stop evaluating things on worldly premises and just humble yourself. Be a servant. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You've begun to reign. Woohoo! And without us. He's being facetious. How I wish that you had already begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. You haven't entered the millennium yet. yet. You're acting like you have. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. There's a big disconnect with what was happening in the church and what was happening with the apostles, and this is Paul's point. We are getting slaughtered for the gospel. You are fine and cushy, and it's because you are syncretized with the culture. You have abandoned the cross of Christ. That's what's going on. Pretty harsh words straightforward how i really wish you began to reign but you aren't and he says the apostles were like people put on display and what he's saying is remember when a roman general would come back from a victory you've seen it in some of the movies he would come in first on his chariot and he's like and then all of a sudden at the very end were the slaves and everybody got conquered and then they'd be put in the arena to go be fed to the lions he says that's what we're like you guys are at the front going ha <laughs> Look at all the things I've done, and they're at the end getting slaughtered. We have been made a spectacle. That word "spectacle" is theater. We've been made uh, uh, put on the big screen for the whole for the whole universe to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ. And notice he's hitting this again. We are fools, but you are wise. How many of you were wise when you were called? Remember that verse he went into a couple chapters ago? He's bringing it back. He goes, we're the fools. You're wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. What is he saying? He said it should be the other way around. He's all, you should be weak. You should be poor. You should be fools. You should be dishonored, but you're not. Why aren't you? Because the world loves you. Why does the world love you? Because you love it. Why isn't there any persecution happening in your in your life, church, Corinth? Why aren't you like me? Because you lost your salt. You've got all the accoutrements. You've got all the spiritual gifts by God's, God's grace. But what about the, what's happening? You've lost the saltiness. You've lost the fire. We're fools. We're dishonored. We're weak. And to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. And here's a, here's a resume for a pastor that you would totally reject. Ready? I would too. To this hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. 
When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this very moment. How many of you identify with any of those things? Maybe working hard with your hands, you know? This is Paul's resume. This is what's going on in his life. He goes, I'm writing this not to shame you. Not what I want to shame you. But to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians, teachers, whatever you want to say, in Christ, pastors, you do, only have, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He spiritually birthed them. He brought them to Christ. He hung out with them for 18 months. And so what's his whole point? And he gets at it right here. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. If you were really following the Lord, you'd be following what I'm doing. You'd be having some persecution in your life. It wouldn't look so good because you'd be salt and light in a very dark society. Corinth was a very dark, sinful place. It says, imitate me. Remember Thessalonians? Did he have that same message? He says, continue to imitate me. He says, very well you have. And he talks to them and says, you are actually an example to all the churches in Macedonia in that you have been persecuted just like the churches in Jerusalem were persecuted. How many of you, when you come to Christ, it's all bells and whistles? Actually, you know what happens is your family starts to get upset. And that's the way it should be, because you're now light in a dark situation. You start sharing Jesus with people, and what happens? The world doesn't like it, and they tell you to shut up. And then you either do one of two things. You continue to shine and continue to go closer to Jesus, or you conform back to the world, and you become nominal Christian. You warm the seat on Sunday morning. And there's no power, there's no life, there's no salt, there's nothing going on. And that's the enemy's plan. And how's it working? So, to end, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but I want you to imitate me. And for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. Oh, poor Timothy. (laughs) I have sent the sheep before the slaughter. (laughs) For Timothy. My son, in whom I, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. It's awesome. How many of you send representatives? You're, you're hoping, like you're sending your kids off to college, you're hoping that someone's there that will emulate your values, what you care about, what's important, and not be influenced by stupid professors. Excuse me. who spend their life in a friggin' ivory tower. Excuse I just get so mad, spewing madness into this world and manipulating minds, and these kids are taking it because it's rebelling against where they came from. They don't realize the goodness that is in Christ Jesus, the power and the purity and the simplicity, and they, and they gobble up the world's influence. Pray for our kids going off to college, <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, that's another thing. Drives me crazy. Just need the Lord to have grace there. That ending. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I'll come to you very soon if the Lord wills. Always if the Lord wills. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. 
for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. There are people behind the scenes manipulating the church into one camp or the other, and they were talking bad about Paul and all this stuff. He says, I'll, when I come see you, I'll talk to you. And he did. He came to him after this, and he warned them, and they kind of turned, but they didn't. There are several letters going on here, and we get like number two and four or something like that. And it's heartbreaking as you read Second Corinthians. But we'll see what kind of power you have. What do you prefer? And I love this about Paul. What do you, what do you want? Here's your option. Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love with a gentle spirit? What do you prefer? What do you like? Jesus is our shepherd. And we always look at flannel graph Jesus as like flannel graph Jesus. But Jesus has a shepherd's crook. And he takes sheep and he puts them on his back and he knows how to bring them back into the fold. And sometimes that's a miserable experience. How, how do you want it? Do you want to experience the discipline of God? Do you want to experience the, the harsh discipline, the, the in-your-face stuff that the Lord can do in your life? Or do you just simply want to respond to the Spirit and say, you know what, I surrender, don't want to go down that road, don't want to have pain. Anyone? Yes. So I think God's been giving me an analogy about some things in my own life. And you know, there's things that I need to change and the Lord has to work in my heart and he's been speaking to me about things. And so I'm not, I'm one of you in this, right? We're all together in this Lord speaking. So I'm in my office, I'm sitting in my office, I'm working on stuff and there's like a bang on the door. Like what in the world's going on? So I'm walking around the office going, what is going on here? Is there like a rat in the ceiling? What's going on? Like I'm back in my office and there's bang, 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 bang. And day after, I couldn't figure it out for two days. And then finally, I realized it was a bird slamming into the window looking at his own reflection. I'm like, you are so dumb. What are you doing? So I try to scare him away, and he comes back and keeps slamming his head against the window. Now, when you leave, I want you to hook a right at the end of the, uh, the door, and you walk out, and you see on the bricks a pile, like poop, just poop everywhere. And you look on the window, and you see all this smacking into the window with blood on it and all that stuff. And if that isn't a picture of what we're talking about and what Paul is saying, I don't know what is. You are so free. Look at the world around you. Look at the things, but you are so darn focused on yourself and the world's, the view that you think the world is. You keep slamming into, you're going to die. And you know, part of me wants to put that thing out of its misery because it doesn't know any better. I want to go out there and I want to go, you know what? I'm just going to kill you because you're going to have a miserable life and you're going to die. And I know this is me. But the compassion for that animal, like I hate seeing wounded animals, you know what I mean? And it's like, am I like that, Lord? And I think the Lord just was talking to me, you know, man, you're so bullheaded. Look what you <laughs> got a pile of poop and you got your head slammed in the window. Would you rather have the, the rod of discipline or would you rather have the gentleness of the Spirit? The Lord is calling us to repent. 
He's calling us to turn from the world's influence in your life. And, you, and some of you are going to walk right out of this room and you're going to go slam into that world again and again and again and again. And I pray God has mercy on us and wakes us up, myself included. I want to have the gentleness of the Spirit and, 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 and to respond to the things of God. And so if, if you're in a current situation where the culture is overpowering you and you keep doing what you're doing, you don't even know how to get out of it. You just keep ramming. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to get into your lives. We want to pull you out. And it might be uncomfortable. There might be some changes that need to happen in, in your life. But Jesus Christ has sent his spirit to free you. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And he wants you to operate in that day and night, in his goodness and his good pleasure and his very presence and just that abiding love. Don't settle for second best. Don't settle for what the world has to offer, but go, go to him, repent and turn. And I have no doubt the Holy Spirit's speaking to people's hearts and minds right now about what those specific situations, I don't know. I can't judge you. I don't know your motives, what's going on. I just know that God's working in lives and it's going to feel like the cross. It's going to feel like giving up the thing that's most precious to you. But you know what? When you die to yourself and you put Jesus Christ as commander of your life, what happens? You actually find that you have real life. So don't deny it. That's why you're here this morning. To have the fullness of the Spirit poured upon you and in you and through you. And that you would have life. and You would enjoy yourself and stop banging yourself into the wall of the world. Amen. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. And this is kind of a harder chapter to teach through, Lord, because it's just, um, it's corrective. And I don't enjoy corrective, Lord. But Lord, will you just govern us? Will you reach into our hearts and expose our tendencies and the things that are just not of you? And where the world has had such a grip on us, will you expose that in our hearts and minds? I pray that there would be just a sweet move of your spirit in the hearts of your people. And for those who don't know you this morning, if they've never given their heart to Jesus and they need a new life and they don't know any better, but slamming their head into the wall of the world, Jesus died to set you free. He paid for your sins. On the cross, he hung there and he thought of you. And all the things you've done and will do, he paid the price so that you'd be set free, that you'd have eternal life. And all you have to do is to turn to him, repent, believe, and just walk with him day after day. It's his gift to you, freedom, uh, eternal life. Cost him everything. And so don't walk away without saying yes to Jesus. Lord, we pray for just the power of your spirit upon this church in the days to come that we would see our brothers and sisters in Corinth as warnings and take and learn from them. Empower us as we go, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.